0: Raise the Jolly Roger with a slick double play. And oh, what a stop, Hayes! There's one! Oh, zip zap kazoo! The Buckles just turned two! Ground ball, left side, picked. Oh, Castillo, a pretty play on the first, and a double play! In between hop and now throwing toward third base, a pick by Hayes! Oh, my goodness, what a play! Key Brian Hayes and Michael Chavis turn it into a double play.
1: Welcome and thank you for tuning into the 412 Double Play Podcast. I am your host, as always, Michael Castergano. With me, my co-host, Ed Wassel. And joining us this week, special guest, host of Bucks in the Basement podcast and one of the co-editors at Inside the Bucks Basement, Craig Toth. Craig, thanks for jumping on with us. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing, uh, like we were talking about beforehand, I'm doing okay. Pirates lost, Steelers lost, uh, Bears lost. For me, it was just an all-around not a great day, but uh, enjoyable because I mean, if you're watching baseball, we we have a few more uh, weeks here left, so I, I'm excited about it. And I appreciate you guys having me on. Have listened to you guys, have talked to you guys in the Twitter sphere, but you know, getting to uh, touch base and talk some Bucko baseball here late uh, on Sunday night, I appreciate it, guys, for having me on.
1: Man, I appreciate you having uh, the time to talk to us. And obviously, we're fans of your show. Uh, Obviously, I work with you on Inside the Bucks Basement for writing articles, had the post-game recap today that when I started writing, it was was going a lot better in like the fourth, fifth inning. But um, let's pivot to the roster roundup for this past week, and then we'll we'll talk about some some game stuff. So on Monday, Rob Zestrisny, designated for assignment, Hunter Stratton had his contract selected for the first time. The big move this week, obviously, was the announcement that Andrew McCutcheon suffered a partial tear of his left Achilles, would likely be out for the remainder of the season. They said he'll be in a boot for six weeks. Can't see how he would really get to play through that uh, team recalled Jared Triolo from Indy to take a spot on the roster. Additionally, Cal Mitchell, previously DFA cleared waivers, was outrighted to Indy. Johan Ramirez, who was also DFA, was claimed by the White Sox. And then Zestrisny, he cleared waivers, was sent outright to Indy, but he declined the assignment I read today and elected minor league free agency. So uh, Craig, impact on a couple levels here. Obviously, with the loss of Kutch, what does that mean for the team and the lineup construction for the remainder of the season? Are they going to cycle players through the DH slot to get rest days, or do they use it for, like, a non-positional player like uh, Andujar or Triolo who doesn't really have a set position to get them more at-bats?
2: I mean, what we've seen so far, and it, it might just be, you know, kind of, like, on the fly – is we've seen it be like the rest day guys. I, I think we had, and I know we had Andrew are in there, you know, one time, but I would say at this point in time in the season, you know, you've got Brian, who's had a little bit of a back issue. You've got Reynolds, who's had a little bit of a back issue. I uh, kind of like, you know, trudging towards the end of the season, a very long season. I would see it used more as like the rest day type stuff, I'll be interested to see what happens when, when Henry Davis, or I should say, if, and when Henry Davis comes back up, um, if you would put him in that DH spot, I did see that he played uh DH for Indy today. So yep. I'm kind of thinking it's just going to be like a, a little bit of like, and I, I hate to use the word hodgepodge because it used to have a, not a, a negative connotation, but now it has an extremely negative connotation for the pirates. But I, I think it's just going to be a, a mix of things. I think it's going to be used for rest days, uh, getting guys off their feet, but still keeping their bats in the lineup like Cabrian, you know, if you're going to put Triolo out of third base, uh, Reynolds, you know, getting a day off, you know, like I said, with Davis, you know, possibly coming back, maybe a, a Sawinski, a Joe, an Andrew R., uh, maybe if they ever decide to call Nicky G back up, I could see him going into that spot because I mean, if you think about it, there's just a lot of guys playing that, that those middle infield spots. And the only guy that's really you know playing like in the field, it would be like a G one Bay would be going between second base and he can move out to center field where, you know, not a lot of those other middle infielders have that type of flexibility. So, Long and short, a lot of long for me there, but long and short is I think it's just kind of going to be a just a little bit of a rotation here, rest days, um, just because, I mean, they weren't really planning about this stuff, and the same thing with, like, Jared Triolo having to come back up. People were asking, like, why wasn't he in for the first two days? Well, everybody knows that Shelton and Donnie Kelly sit down, you know, weeks in advance and and set the the lineup. And you're not going to really put uh, Triolo into a DH spot because, I mean, that's – the bat is not his forte. If you're going to play him, you're going to play him in the field. So, I mean, I guess you could have thrown him into the DH spot, but, I mean, it's not going to, you know, maybe get the same, you know, I guess it would be bop or whatever from like a Hayes who's been hitting better. Reynolds, who's been hitting for more power, getting an Anjuar in there who, you know, tore it up in in AAA and and does have some pop in his bat. So if you want to put somebody in the DH spot, it's going to have to be somebody with some pop. And that's why I kind of mentioned Nikki G a little bit, is that if they bring him back up, hopefully for Alika Williams, as uh, Jason Mackey mentioned a few times already here, um, that, you know, maybe he would get just, you know, a couple days in the DH as well, just to kind of rotate some guys through.
1: Yeah, it does seem like Nikki G would be good for that spot. Uh, you mentioned Davis. DH today was right field yesterday uh, in his rehab stint with Indy over two games, four for five with a home run and three walks. So, seems like the hand is feeling better. Uh, he was definitely struggling offensively leading up to them finally putting him on the shelf for a bit. There were some people. Won't name names. We're saying like, oh, it's a phantom injury because of his struggles, but it definitely seemed like something was wrong was was bugging him, leading to that.
2: Yeah, I mean, off. he just he just didn't he wasn't swinging the bat the same. I mean, we see the violent swing with him most of the time. I mean, that's like his kind of like his his mo is. I mean, every single time the the bat comes through and he hits the ball hard, or he's at least swinging very hard, and it kind of seemed like that he was just a little bit off. Um, yeah, I wouldn't see it as a really a, a phantom injury. I mean, if if you were going to do, um, I mean, anything you would have, I don't know, just, you know, kind of put him in the, the DH spot if it was, you were worried about his play in right field, because um, you want him to get as many at bats as possible, especially, you know, this early on, you don't want to stunt that. So, I mean, it was either like let him sit out there and struggle in right field, and the hand was okay, and and just let him hit, or the hand wasn't okay, and you 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 would still like you if it if it was truly like a phantom injury, then I, I can't see that man because I think they would have just put him in DH if it would have if it was about the right field struggles and just had him you know do more on the side. Uh, in right field until he worked that out. So that's why I wouldn't see it was a, as a phantom injury because you don't want to take um, at-bats away from a young kid.
1: Yeah, I well, I didn't think so either. I figured it was something like that where it was an injury that was kind of hurting him. Given the issues that he was having in right field, I'm hoping that they use him in the, a DH role primarily just down the stretch because then he could just focus on squaring up Major league pitching. He's clearly oh, like undermatched when it comes to the minor leagues. He just needs to be able to face the top tier guys and be successful because we know that he can. He's shown it in small stints. Um, going back to Kutch, there was, I think, a discussion, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, about whether they would consider working with him in the offseason to potentially play some first base next season. Uh, I don't know if you read about that. And they were basically just shot it down and were like, the- he hasn't played in the infield at all in his career. It's basically like that Ron Washington money ball situation. Learning first base is incredibly hard. Um, <laughs> what What are your thoughts on, because guys like, like Connor Joe, he was he was an outfielder. And I think before that, maybe he was a catcher or something like that. Like guys do as they age, kind of move to different positions Um, that they they kind of have to learn because they don't have that physical flexibility anymore. What are your thoughts on moving someone like Kutch or because Yark is constantly saying it Reynolds to first base?
2: Yeah, I think uh, I was listening to the, uh, the Pirates fan forum with get with our boy Gary and uh, Yark chimed in on the, uh, the chat and was, you know, pushing the, the Reynolds idea again and I'm not shooting that down, you know, for the future. Uh, but at the present, Brian Reynolds, he's he's perfectly fine in left field. We've seen him almost be like gold glove caliber in left field previously. Um, but yeah, I mean, with Kutch, I can't see this late in his career like making that move. Uh you know, Connor Joe did it a little bit in the minor mm-hmm. leagues as well before doing it in the major leagues um and was almost more of trying to fit in or trying to find a role within the team uh, in Colorado almost as like a kind of like a platoon guy. Kotch, uh, I just I mean to me it's like if he can't play the outfield, then it, he's a dh and and that's what he was for most of this year after what was it? I think like an ankle injury or something early on people were wondering like why hasn't he played the outfield Then it was the elbow after that um yeah. so um yeah, with Kutch it's it's outfield and Dh or nothing or just you know just dh. I, I couldn't see you know this late you. <laughs> Might as well just bring in, you know, we've heard that this Carlos Santana, as soon as he left, wanted to come back. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, smoke surrounding that as well. So, I mean, it, to me, I would almost be like, okay, if they are going to bring back Hutch, be like, if you can play some outfield, that would be great. But if not, you know, we will have you as a bench player, you know, part-time DH, part-time pinch hitter. and you know, maybe, you know, that's not a bad 26th man. Like, I think a lot of people like overthink like the, that last roster spot and yes, it can be important. And even on a, you know, championship team, it, it can be important as well, or at least, you know, the pirates, hopefully competing for, you know, even a wildcard spot or division next year, it would be important. But, I mean that guy gets. I mean you're seeing the 26 man right now, and I know it's going to, you know, ruffle a lot of people's feathers. But it's it's Vinny Capra. Vinny Capra is the the 26 man, and he's getting what, you know, 10 plate appearances a week, maybe 15 at the most. So like, I mean, if if you bring Kutch back, like it, it's going to be in a DH, and hopefully, you know, the Achilles heals. Uh, whatever was going on with his ankle you know previous to that it, it's it's sorted out and he can maybe you know go give a guy a blow in the outfield for a game and then dh a couple days but the whole first base idea i can understand why you would think about it just because it's such a glaring hole but i wouldn't see putting a guy who's 37 now is he I 37 i don't know when his birthday is it's 36 37 uh putting him in that type of role he's... october 10th
1: i want to say i'm pretty sure it's october sometime but keep going i'll look
2: it up if it's october 10th i'm taking you to trivia night because i mean if that's a question then, <laughs> then we're gonna win but yeah i mean a guy that's never played like that position maybe he played that position when he was in like little league or something but I mean, he's, he was a center fielder for as long as I can remember. And, you know, even a a left fielder or a right fielder after that. So, I mean, I I can kind of see why you would think that just to try to fill a hole. But if you're thinking about that, then the automatic, you know, my brainwave goes to then just, you know, bring back Santana, bring back Choi, if that's what you're thinking. I mean, I would hope that it would be, maybe more than that and bringing back a guy that's going to be here for more than a year but if your goal is to just find a guy that's going to fill that for one year i mean Cutch, it just it just really doesn't make too much sense to me
1: it's tough because it's a thin free agent market this off season for first base it's basically guys like brandon belt santana um Hosmer, I guess, Bellinger. The, I mean, we're not going to be in contention for Bellinger. You let me know what our uh, trivia team name is going to be because uh, Kutch's birthday, 10-10-86. But, um,
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: so if if they bring back Santana, I don't think I'd be mad about that. Right now, we don't have any, like, internal options. You look at guys like Malcolm Nunez, and he's mostly played third base, even though he's supposed to be the first baseman of the future. Mason Martin's obviously had regression where he's not even a contender anymore. Uh, Jacob Gonzalez was lower down. And and I think he's like, he had that decent year last year and has kind of struggled to find his footing this year. Uh, Shaka Ford. I mean, Andy's played some first base, but he's showing like, my, my dish. I, I don't know that we have an internal first baseman of the future. And I don't know, but that's something like most organizations if they do have or is that just kind of something that your best slugger falls into?
2: I mean usually your best slugger falls into that and oh by the way Cutch's birthday bros would be our uh, trivia team name I you know it just kind of <laughs> came into my head right now it sounds like a good one um I did we'll see sure. right I, I did <laughs> I'll make sure I did see that I that Matt Gorski played uh, some first base today. Uh, for the Indians after his call up, uh, he had played some first base, uh, in Greensboro last year, uh, talked about how he actually liked playing first base better because of, but who wouldn't, I mean, cause in Greensboro, it's either like, you're watching it fly over the, you know, the wall or, you know, you're fielding a single. There's not like much room for actually playing the outfield in Greensboro. Um, but even with him, I, I looked that up uh, earlier on today because that's what a weird person does while the Steeler game's on and you're watching the Pirate game is, you know, what was Matt Gorski's OPS this year in in Altoona? And I think it was around like 743 or something. Um, kind of a disappointing year for him. Had taken off a lot in, in Greensboro the year before and was hitting the cover off the ball when he came up to Altoona and then <laughs> tore up his hamstring. And that was like pretty much his season. Um, So I don't know, like he still had, I think 17 home runs in Altoona definitely has that power, but I mean, I'm looking for guys. Last season, I think,
1: didn't he have a 2020 year or 2020, 25, 25?
2: It was something I, yeah. Cause he, he did have, he had a decent amount of home runs in Greensboro. I mean, I'd have to like definitely look that up. I know Andres Alvarez was the 2020 guy for Altoona last year that was in Altuna for the entire yeah. year. Um But yeah, I mean, Gorski had speed. He had power. um It still has that, you know, now. Um, But when I look for a guy and I, I, I do it on like the minor league news and brews show, which unfortunately I didn't get to do this week because my son had a hundred and one temperature for the past like five days. Uh, you know everybody knows how that he's it's it's some sort of vibe. he's okay. I mean believe me, he played enough Fortnite during that time that his levels are up, so he's good. Um, but I look for guys with like OPSs like over eight hundred. I mean if you're hitting seventeen home runs, um, his average was like down around like two thirty-five. But I don't really care too much about that. Strikeouts were up a little bit. But I'm just talking about, like, Gorski. I think they possibly see him um, as at least a potential option at first base. But we've seen kind of how that's fallen to the wayside. I mean, like you mentioned Aaron Shackelford was tearing it up at the beginning of the season and kind of fell back down to where, like, his regular levels were at. I know they were looking for more from Malcolm Nunez this year, but he was injured for, you know, the majority of the time. And they wanted to see how that would play out because I think he would have possibly been like that September call up or like maybe after the all-star break, you know, once Carlos Santana and G-Man Choi were traded, but unfortunately he was injured. I mean, the, the guy still is extremely young, but I don't know. Like it feels like that it's been the perpetual, can we get a guy to fill this spot for just like one year and, and play it well. And I look to other organizations and I look to see who they have playing at first base. And a lot of the times, I mean, like, even like looking to the, the Cardinals, I mean, their first baseman, you know, obviously acquired by trade. It's kind of seems like that. It's like a guy that is, has a decent amount of power has, you know, a decent amount of, you know, still has some, Athletic ability, some defensive prowess, and can, you know, still field a position. But it just doesn't seem like the Pirates can, can ever figure that out. I mean, I don't know. And, and like you said, the, 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 the market is thin. We're definitely not getting Bellinger. I, I mean, Reese Hoskins is, is a top of a list, but I don't see him, you know, come in this direction. So once again, you're kind of looking for, you know, guys that are i don't know that, that can maybe fill the position for a year and and i know i'm, I'm going back to gary just because i mean maybe because it's just in my ears from you know listening to it the, the the rest of the episode this morning is is starting those transitions earlier i mean we we're seeing uh i think it's uh emerson valdez uh in the FCL and now in Bradenton, he was an outfielder. They started that transition to first base earlier. Cause if you look like throughout the system, I mean, other than, you know, Mason Martin, who was also an outfielder, um, they really haven't transitioned guys maybe early enough to that position. And now uh, you're kind of scrambling. Cause I think that they thought they maybe had answers with Nunez. I'm thinking that's like the only guy that they had or that Mason Martin would miraculously turn around and not strike out as much. So, I mean, if not, you're looking at these like one year guys and there's not even like a lot of like a huge market because I've even like explored like, you know, could we trade for a first baseman, you know, kind of like the Cardinals did and, and other teams have done. And you kind of have to hit the perfect storm of a team that has a really good first baseman, but then also isn't going to be in contention for a few years. and that. You know, are willing to take, like you know, yeah, but but here's the thing is, but then you only get you that's still only for a year though. I I keep on hearing that. I I, I hear you. I hear you, Michael. I I, I don't disagree that yeah. like, week would, would be great, but you're basically saying that you, if if we were in a different position, like let's say, let's throw this out here, like hypothetically let's say that the pirates had a great year in in 2024 and that pete alonzo was going to be a you know a free agent at the end of 2024 as opposed to at, at the end of you know 2025 or whatever it would be that we would have him for another year and we were like we just needed that last little piece to get it over the top then maybe i could see that so like if if we were in a better position this year like say if we were, I don't know, I hate to say this, but say if we were the Reds um who maybe came on, you know, a little bit stronger, a little bit quicker and are a few games over 500, would I be into Pete Alonzo for the next year? Absolutely. But if we're a, you know, what are we now? 60, it was, as we were recording 66 and, and 77 team with, you know, two starting pitchers guaranteed for next year, And probably also maybe a hole in, you know, maybe an outfield spot or something. I can't see just taking on what's going to probably be about a $20 million contract or $19 million contract for one year when you could go back out and get either G-Man Choi or if he would stay healthy or Carlos Santana for, you know, what he provided to us this year. Um, Because the Mets are going to be looking to cash in, and i I don't know if the pirates are i mean they I think at some point in time you are gonna have to trade from your your depth, but maybe not for a guy that's just there for you know one year and, and provides you with maybe sure. say an extra you know win or two on top of what Carlos Santana provided for you know eleven ten ten eleven, twelve million dollars less,
1: yeah. No, I agree. And uh, let, let's move on, and then we're going to kind of roll back to this, because I want to jump into the weekly recap, talking about what's happened this past week. Came home after a successful road trip to Missouri, Bucks facing division-leading Brewers, along with a tough slate of starting pitchers in Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta. Pirates dropped four. Four runs on burns over six innings, including home runs from Hayes and Sawinski, en route to winning game one, four to two. That's kind of stymied in game two against Woodruff, who threw seven shutout innings. Something consistent pitching with Andre Jackson defense led to a wide lead that a late comeback was not able to overcome as the Pirates <laughs> lost seven four. And then on Wednesday, fell. Uh, early on, there'll be another rough one for the home team after the Brewers dropped three in the first inning against Colin Selby. Bucks chipped away. Another home run for Hayes. RBI double from such RBIs late in the game. Pirates won 5-4. And then into the chop house that is Atlanta these days. Keller got wrecked game one. Some early soft contact finding grass and some later hard hard contact finding seats as the Bucks lost 8-2. Came back with some big hits and aggressive base running in game. Or, excuse me, lost 8-2. Came back with big hits and aggressive game running, uh, base running in game two as Reynolds and Andujar each notched three-hit nights with the 8-4 win. And then final game today, pitching matchup through most of it, Luis Ortiz, third straight solid outing, 5.1 innings of one-run ball. Reynolds and Sawinski had back-to-back RBI doubles in the sixth inning to give the Pirates a 2-0 lead. But another rough appearance by Selby. Allowed four runs, only got a single out as the Bucks dropped the game 5-2. to two. After the game, Key expressed some understandable disdain, I'll say, for the umpiring situation. He struck out in the eighth inning, started with a 3-0 count, and then had uh, strike one was close, but maybe okay to be called a strike. And then strike two was well off the plate. Key tweeted today, some umpires... Really don't care. 3-1 call, not even close. I hold him accountable after the game, walking off the field. And his response is, shrug emoji, I gave you a chance to hit a home run. That tells me you don't care at all. No accountability. Bring ABS, please, at MLB. Craig, have you ever seen a situation where a player just straight up called out umpiring on social media like that?
2: No, and, and the funny thing was is, like, I had to look like two or three times to see if it was like a parody account because we know that, like, I mean, unfortunately, you know, in this day and age, people steal people's identities and and do crazy stuff on social media. But I'm like, okay, I know this is Key's account. He doesn't want the blue check. He doesn't actually really even tweet that much whatsoever. I looked back through his thing. Most of the stuff is just like retweets of, you know, that he was, you know, defensive player of the month and that he did all this kind of other stuff and for, for him to take it to social media to me like i don't want to say it's bad or that it's good i just want to say that it was like kind of strange to me um but the umpires have been exceptionally bad this year and on that call particularly i mean the ump was set up if you watch it i mean he was set up inside of our inside the catcher you know the whole way over. I mean, I don't know why I'm doing this. Cause it's, I guess it must only be for Ed and Michael. Cause they're the only ones that can see me. Cause this is all audio. We're he's, audio <laughs> only. He's, he's I know, moving. But, he, but he's set up and he's hiding. <laughs> by, he's hiding behind the catcher. And the pitch is the whole way to the other side of the plate. And I don't yep, know. If he's, he thought, he's on glove side. Yeah. And I, I, didn't know if he thought that like, maybe I wasn't set up as inside as I was. Cause I mean, he was set up by keys elbow and the pitch was the whole way across the other side of the plate. And it wasn't even like it was a good frame job either. I mean, the guy tried to pull it back in, but it was so far outside that even when you see the freeze frame that, like, that Kibrian Ke- posted, it's still outside, even with the frame job. Um, no, man, it's, it's weird that he would do that. Um, I think it's just, like, Even like more than just like ABS, please. It's just, I mean, could there be some sort of accountability? I mean, I don't know if you guys, I'm I'm assuming you do because you guys are, you know, pretty, you know, versed in everything. You probably follow like the ump scorecards and and look through like the scorecards like I do every single morning while I'm having my cup of coffee. Cause like I said, that's what weirdos do is is look to see like how well umps did from the previous day. Like the scorecards have been absolutely atrocious this year. So I don't, it's, it's just basically for more for me is the word that he uses accountability. Um, yep. I, I don't know if he, I don't know if he wants ABS. I, I think he's thinking that, you know, they'll get more things correct and it was just more emotion, but it it definitely was you know kind of strange to me that a guy that doesn't actually use social media that much, um, decided that this was the time to do that. But like I said, these guys are living on emotions. He's hitting very well. Um, the team's playing very well. And I, I mean, I think that, you know, Chris and I, you know, on a previous show, if anybody listened to it, we're t- we're talking about like, you know, you know, whether Shelton should be the manager. And I know this is going down like off topic a little bit, but I'm sure I'll bring it back to you. Is that... You guys talk you, about
1: that a lot. So yeah, yeah
2: go on. Is, is, is that, you know... <laughs> He hasn't lost the clubhouse and and, and that he still has that winning mentality. So to me, like, that's what I see it more from is that he wants this to turn around. And I think that he sees something that's been happening over this past couple weeks where they're actually, you know, whether it's beating the Royals and beating the Cardinals. um, It's not like the Cardinals are that far behind the Pirates. I mean, it's not like we're beating... I mean, we got swept by the A's, but it's not like we're beating the A's and, you know, just like uh, these terrible teams. And then you go in and you play well against Milwaukee and you're actually trying to fight against a Braves team, which is, you know, one of the best teams in Major League Baseball. And you kind of taken a bat away from me. To me, I, I just see more of like the thing about the accountability. And I just see the frustration of like him – like actually wanting to fight for a win. So I'm I will kind of take like some like little bit of positives out of that. Um, but like I said, it's just very strange for a guy that doesn't use social media to take to social media, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah. It 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 was wild the way it happened. He definitely I think posts more often on like Instagram than Twitter. I'll yeah. see it very rarely on Twitter. But the fact that he just went out and said, t- it was egregious. I mean, we were down five two at that point. It was two outs. He was a third out of the inning. The um, Bay and Reynolds had already struck out. But like you're, I mean, you're right. Taking the bat out of his hand, it's making a decision for him. And if the ump, uh, what was his name, I think Bob Miller, something Miller. If he actually said that to Hayes, and the fact that there's no repercussions if an ump is just going to blatantly like they're not allowed to bet on games and that's it. They could say whatever they want, they can make whatever calls. They could, you know, call a ball after a guy swings at it. Like there's nothing that is you know, the coach comes out and argues, coach can get tossed. Nothing happens to the ump. I think they just need to have some sort of repercussions if they're they're going to be so blatantly terrible at their at their job. I saw something today that on Twitter Angel Hernandez has been behind the plate for like nine games this season and he has 85 missed calls. And I was like, oh, he's getting better. Like It's it's, like, it's, like,
2: it's, it's, him, it's him and Laz Diaz. I mean, they're like pretty much. Laz like, Diaz is absolutely terrible. When he was
1: behind the dish for, for a game for us a, a couple weeks ago, I was like, this is the worst game I've ever seen
2: yeah, because so he-
1: many crucial calls that he made went against us.
2: And if you want to hear something, this is like how crazy my mind works. Like you guys are just interacting with me like in person for the first time and you're going to be like, this guy is completely nuts. But the first thing I thought of when that strike was called and when that stuff was posted is I'm pretty sure that's exactly where Bednar's pitch was when he struck out Contreras to end the game against Milwaukee the one time. So to me, like it's, it's not that it's just the Pirates. It's it's that it's across the board. It's it's like going against everybody. And I think that's where all of this kind of directs towards when I when I go back to just that word, you know, accountability. And I I mean, the ABS system, I'm pretty sure you guys uh, listen to the Bridge of October podcast. They just did a a complete rundown. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to it yet on uh, the athletic article that was written on the ABS system and everything. But the, the biggest thing for me is that if you would at least kind of just give that those challenge where like the, the, the batter can touch his, his hat, I think that's where we're going to go first. And, and I don't know if you, yep. that's where you want to go with this discussion, but like, that's just kind of like the two places my mind worked was that I thought about that call against, you know, cause even Greg Brown, I think it was Greg Brown on the call for that game during, I think it was the day game. And he was just like, And he, oh, they gave us one. You know, it was like kind of like that reaction of like, yeah, these umpires are actually missing just a a ton of calls. And then, like, and then listening to the Bridges of October podcast after that and thinking, yeah, if we could just have like, I think it was like you have like three or four chances to get it wrong or something. And then after that, like, you don't have any more. But as long as you keep getting them right, I don't know if there would be a limit on it. So it would almost be like, I mean, a lot of people probably today were watching the Steeler game like I was and stuff like that. I'm just giving these guys like an opportunity to say like, yeah, this was just a a bad call. And whether the, ump, you know, did it on purpose, whether or not he's, you know, flipping about it or whatever, but just, you know, giving, you know, the players an opportunity to say, Hey, no, I should be on first base at this point in time. We're only down three runs. If I get a walk, somebody else gets a hit, and then somebody else hits a home run, like within, you know, a drop of a hat, we're right back in this game. So, I mean, accountability, the fire from key, I love to see it, strange, and then also just, I don't know, like, if ABS is the answer. I would at least think that the challenge system first but you know something, there has to be some sort of accountability for guys that control a game as much as the home plate umpire does. Like, cause it's like if you like, I'm going back to football just for a second. It's not like you know any official unless he's going to call a holding call every single play, which you know people say, oh, these these officials you know had this this control of the game or whatever no single person has the control of the game of a guy that's calling every single pitch for like, you know, like over a hundred pitches on every other, on each team. Like there is just like so much control in that. But I mean, they have to, at some point in time, if you fall below a certain grade, then it's just like, I know that you have an umping crew, but it's like, dude, until you, like, can get in a simulator or something or whatever it would be and show us that you can get above this score, yeah, you're going to be on this crew, but this guy is, like, the best pitch caller. Like, he's going to be behind the plate for almost every single game. I mean, if if catchers are going to go behind, you know, the plate for 132 games a year, you know, get a get a young, you know, athletic ump that can, you know – squat and crouch and do whatever for that many games but to me like the guy that is behind the plate should be you know one of the best at his position and and like you'll see in in even in the playoffs like why isn't it like the best like you have like a crew of like the the best ums who have scored. have the best it's almost like a popularity contest it's like well this guy's been upping forever and so we're just going to put him in the playoffs again and then he could have a call like this i think that's where it comes down to like that accountability piece is like this is this is one call but it's been so many calls and there's been nothing done about any of this
1: yeah we definitely touched a nerve for craig here But I like the idea of having relegation, like a guy does so poorly for a period of time and you get sent down to the minor leagues. And if you, you know, a triple A, if you're still doing terrible, like you eventually get all the way down to low A where you can have your ump show and no one's going to see it. But um, so we we were on that topic for a long time. So let's move on to the next thing, because I want to talk about Colin Selby. Another disappointing outing, third time in the last four appearances, allowing two or more runs with one inning or less pitched. Season ERA is now 8.64, by far the worst among the active staff. It's a small sample size. I think he's only had like 21, 22 innings. But is there reason for concern? He was added to the uh, roster ahead of the Rule 5, but it was just meatball or big miss pitching today. And that's kind of been his MO as of late, at least.
2: Well, I think it's just been a disappointing season for him all around. I mean, you know, I could see why he was protected. He's, you know, one of the guys that was definitely on a lot of our radars just because it, it'd be a guy that we could lose, a guy that, you know, had shown up pretty well in previous seasons, but, you know, didn't pitch great in Indy, injured when he came back, still wasn't pitching you know, great. It's almost like that he is getting his like, kind of like last shot of, you know, can he stay on the 40 man? Is this someone that is, is worth protecting is again, is this somebody that's worth keeping? Um I just kind of feel bad for the guy. Cause I mean, it, putting, putting him in like a, a, a tough situation like that. I mean, I don't know. The one thing is, I mean, Ortiz, I thought was going to go longer. Watching the game, you know, in my phone, in my lap, while the Steeler game's on in the background and stuff, and watching, I thought Ortiz was going to go longer. Uh, Baraki pitched pitched well, um, and it was just weird to me that like that Baraki wasn't a guy that you maybe were just going to let like finish out that. I think that sometimes like, people overthink matchups. But eventually, I mean, it comes down to the fact that a pitcher has to come out and, you know, do his job. Um, but, I mean, when Selby was called up, I, I thought Selby was just going to be that guy that was, like, kind of, like, in there for blowouts and, you know, not put into to close game situations. Because he, he really hasn't had a good season. But, I mean, if you ask me, I would think that it's, you know at some times experimenting as we've seen over the previous years and people want to see those, you know, experiments, you know, stop is that, you know, you put a bunch of these guys or these guys in different situations just to see how they react and see how they perform. So it's almost like, okay, Selby, we're going to use you as an opener just to see how you do with that. We're going to use you in a blowout in the middle innings just to see, you know, you know, are you able to gear yourself up for that? We're going to put you into close situations So that's like kind of, I mean, maybe putting on a tinfoil hat and putting, you know, that, you know, Ben Charrington's, you know, controlling that, you know, we want to see how like our roster is constructed or whatever. But I I do kind of see that a little bit with him. Um, It's just been one of those just unfortunate years for him where, I mean, we were looking for a lot for him in Indianapolis, got hurt, came back you know, geared up a little bit, but then there's been, you know, injuries, you know, underperformance Mm -hmm. here that he kind of got the call up and I I see this, I mean, with a rebuilding team, you're going to see this a decent amount as you're getting guys called up that may not be ready, you know, for the big stage. And that's not saying that he's not going to be ready, you know, ever, but I mean, I know it's a small sample size, have seen good things from him, bad things, but he just doesn't, you know, it just, just doesn't seem to have it. Like the pitches and the stuff that I've watched from him in previous years. I mean, he would maybe get roughed up at the majors, but not to the degree that it just you don't even like it looks like he doesn't even know like where the pitches are going. So I mean, once again, the long and short is we just don't have enough pitching depth. So you, you have to call up a Colin Selby just to kind of see what you have from him. And I mean, even I I couldn't see them saying, okay, well, this is, if he gets cut or, you know, you know, removed from the 40 men after the season, it's probably not because of this small sample size. It's probably more of, you know, you know, trying to create room and different stuff like that. But I could see them calling up to see, you know, what they have in him and, you know, trying to make that type of decision. But I saw a guy that, you know, when he was called up, I was like, kind of good for him. But I also was thinking, well, he's not ready. But, you know, if you don't call him up, like, who else do you call up at AAA? If you know what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, there's definitely some holes that they kind of need to fill. But let's pivot to the minor leagues. Looking for a healthy snack that is high in protein and actually tastes good? check out built bars and built puffs with new flavors dropping all the time these bars are packed with protein while tasting like chocolate bars from brownie batter to cookies and cream salted caramel and my favorite cookie dough chung these are a delicious and protein packed meal alternative for every member of the family order on built.com and use code janelle10 for 10 percent off that's j-e-n-e-l-l-e the number 10 for 10% off your next built order today. Uh, Last week of the season for low A ball, Indians at AAA facing Toledo Mudhens took four of six. The Altoona curve at Harrisburg Senators. Paul Skeens was shut down, but Bubba Chandler came in to replace him. And the team took five of six this week. Greensboro Grasshoppers at home against the Bowling Green Hot Rods. Split the series 3-3. And then the Marauders just missed playoffs, but took four of six against their rival Fort Myers Muscles second year in a row that it came down to the final week with Bradenton just missing out on playoffs. But, uh, some big performances this past week, I mentioned Bubba Chandler. He had five shutout in his debut at double A, just one hit eight strikeouts. Jared Jones, doing really well in Indianapolis. I mean, hit and miss, but Sean Sullivan, kind of surprising for a lot of fans, uh, how well he's been doing, Thomas Harrington. We kind of have an abundance of talented pitchers. I think like eight of the top 10 prospects on most charts are showing pitchers. And so Craig, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here because I don't think I, I asked you about this ahead of time, but which pitching prospects are you highest on, or which which you feel are not getting the appreciation that they should? Like not just saying, okay, Paul Skeens, obviously he's got really great stuff, but like who who are the the pitchers that you see as guys to watch in the in the coming seasons?
2: Well, I mean, I guess we could just call this maybe the minor league news and brews uh, preview is what we're going to call because that's what this sure. is what I was working on. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that I was going to record for this week. So I, I definitely dove into um, the pitchers a lot just because, I mean, I, I've talked a lot about the the Orioles uh, rebuild and how a lot of this was brought along by, you know, how well some of the pitchers have performed this year. And I, I honestly do believe that in a team like the, you know, the Pirates, the Orioles, teams that aren't going to spend a ton of money, the, the Rays, I mean, pitching is going to have to lead the way. Um, so I mean, going down through each ranking, number one, with Jared Jones, Jared Jones had a, he had a really good outing. Um, for me, the thing with him is that, uh, if you look, and like I said, if you're a guy that's weird enough to me to, to copy and paste, you know, the games to Statcast cast, to try to figure out what types of pitches, you know, the minor leaguers are, are throwing more. I mean, I'm watching the games, but I also want to know, you know what they're throwing more is that um during Jared Jones's rough stretch that he's had recently, um, they've been throwing in his curveball more, they've been having him throw his slider less. Um, they, you know, have been working the change up more at times. Uh, so there's been just like a lot of different stuff they've been playing with with him, just to try to see, you know, how certain players react to certain pitches. Um, speaking of the ABS system, the ABS system in AAA runs uh, Tuesday through Thursday, and then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday is actually when the umpires call the games with the challenge system, uh, noting that when uh, when Jared Jones got off to his hot start in AAA, uh, he actually – seven out of his first eight starts were without the ABS system and with the umps calling the games – um, and then once when he started to hit his rough stretch as well, um, it was when the ABS system was calling, which may, if you li- listen to Bridge of October and you read the athletic article on it, um, is n- the, the kinks aren't completely worked out of it yet. So I, it's just I, I, like I said, you can be conspiracy theory type stuff, but that's why, like, I'm actually kind of glad that I didn't record that on Thursday because I got to see another Jones start. and It was a Jones start where he was having a game actually called by the umpire and, uh, the home plate ump and he actually had another good start. So I don't know if that's maybe feeding into that or if he just really had his stuff that day. And I looked at that and he leaned more on the fastball and the slider in that game, going back to kind of his original stuff. So it could be, you know, a little bit of a mix of both, uh, Quinn Priester, uh, the one thing I did notice uh, is that during his last start, uh, he had his uh, fastball, uh, the sinker actually, going up to about 97, um, which is something I hadn't seen in a while most of the time. I mean, I, I know his average on that was still about 93, 94. Uh, he definitely just has to throw for more velocity. I mean, that's, that's one thing there. Um, and then you're saying, you know, Bubba Chandler with his start in uh, Altoona, Obviously great to see the one thing I kind of do caution a little bit on players that make, especially pitchers making their first start at a new level is that the team that is facing them usually doesn't have um, a lot of time to prep for those players because the minor league players are also are prepping the catchers, the hitters, everything, the scouts, are like you know looking to see like how these pitchers throw what their things are um so a good first start is i mean obviously a good thing um but for him i uh, i don't know if he's going to get another start i know that they talked about maybe that his next start is set up for his birthday i believe it is so i don't know if they're going to let him oh, throw no. or not but they I think, I think yeah yeah, but they talked about it maybe being his last start, but it, I mean, it's it's obviously like a, it's a good thing. I'm not going to say it's not a good thing, but I will say that, I mean, if you look at a lot of players, I mean, even Thomas Harrington before his struggles in Greensboro uh, for his next few starts, his first start in Greensboro, he pitched very well. So sometimes there's just not a lot of tape on those guys. So they can do different things that may, you know, throw guys off a little bit, but, you know, obviously, you know, a good thing. You mentioned Sean Sullivan. You know, just a very consistent pitcher, um, not very flashy. Different things like that. The one thing I did look is that I, uh, you know, Braxton Ashcraft is on the developmental list. Maybe he had reached his uh, his he's like towards his innings limit. I think he was like a little bit over fifty-two innings this year between uh, Greensboro and Altoona, uh, coming back from the Tommy John. So I'm, I'm hoping that's what it is. I um, haven't really heard um, anything from anybody on that. I've reached out to. A few people uh, just to kind of See if there wasn't like a setback but I mean they might have just at some Point in time just basically said this is what we were Looking for you Um, for this Year I think he's a guy that's kind of like If you're talking about a guy that's like Flown under the radar just even a little bit He pitched you know actually better In Altoona than he pitched in Greensboro As he kind of got ramped back up a little bit That kind of got put on the Developmental list but I would say that we need more pitching. I mean, we brought in Jackson Wolf and he, he's looked kind of decent. Um, but I mean, when you have like Karma Majinski, who like a lot of people had penciled in to be like a starter this year, going to the bullpen and not saying he hasn't looked good in the bullpen, um, as a starter, Kyle Nicholas getting a shot, you know, as a, uh, as a starter and thinking that he was going to do that and looking really good, you know, out of the bullpen. But, when you have injuries, I mean, I know you guys have talked about this. I've talked about this. Like everybody's talked about this. When you have injuries to Brubaker, Velasquez, Michael Burroughs, you have all this stuff happen. And I didn't even get to like Anthony Solomito, who's the, the one thing for me on that is kind of going is that Anthony Solomito pitched, I think it was like just over 30 innings in his high school career, like his senior year. The next year, in his first year of professional baseball, pitched like 40-some innings. And he really started to like kind of – he hit like almost a little bit of a plateau at like 80-some innings. And that's where he started pitching poorly. So I wouldn't worry too much about him. There was a guy I didn't even mention because I think he's probably, in my estimation, probably him and Bubba Chandler are probably the two – in. Outside of Skeens, because it's hard to go against Skeens because, you know, he's the top prospect right now, would probably be the two guys that I say that, you know, have that are like the two best pitchers. I Jared Jones, he teeters on that uh, starter slash bullpen, you know, type mix. And I think that's why they started throwing the other stuff in there more because, once again, he's a fastball slider guy. Um, And you see that a lot, you know, that who's, you know, Luis Ortiz, fastball slider, Ronzi Gutierrez, fastball slider, like not saying you can't be successful with it, but at least in the Pirates organization, they want um, that third pitch and possibly to a detriment. And I'll just kind of leave that there, you know.
1: I mean, one of the best pitchers in all of baseball, Spencer Strider, is essentially just fastball slider. Like 4% of the time, I think he throws a change up. Um, but, yeah, I agree. We've got a lot of really interesting pitchers, and I think this season showed how much that depth is needed. I'm sure we're going to have some guys in the offseason that they're going to have to pursue as free agents. Um. But pivoting kind of back to the prospects, you said on a podcast episode recently, and I don't remember the exact wording, but basically if there's a player who's likely to hit a wall in the same vein as Matt Frazier or Matt Gorski, hyped up, ton of talent, performing well at a level, but kind of gets stuck, things can't click, you said it would be Jack Brannigan. Now his OPS on the season split between Bradenton and Greensboro's around 900, plays plus defense at third, so I agree that fans are likely excited for what he offers. What? Why do you think he has the potential to see setbacks as he develops? Is there anything specific to that? Or have you changed your mind in the past couple of weeks on this?
2: No, I, I really haven't changed my mind uh, on him. I think he's he's one of those guys that kind of just falls into, like, he's a solid ball player. Like, I I really like his game. I just, I see, like, the way people would say that maybe he wasn't seeing enough pitches in, in Bradenton, and that's why he wasn't performing as well this year. So I, I kind of would say I, I may – I wouldn't say backtrack a little bit, but I may leave it a little bit more wide open than I had previous to that because, I mean, it's each, each level you go up, you're going to see better pitching. Um, and you may you know, fall into – if you're stuck, quote-unquote, stuck in like a lower level – you may, you know, start to search or see yourself, stretch yourself out to try to get more pitches, you know, to hit. And they're actually, you know, not in your wheelhouse, not in your zone. So you may actually struggle a little bit more. And and I could see that definitely happening in, in low a ball. Cause if you've ever been to a low a ball game, I mean, pretty much if if a pitcher throws like seven pitches probably like three of them are, you know, within the zone and, and, and hittable uh, for the most part. And it's just because these guys are very raw. They're very, you know, and it's not saying they're bad pitchers, um, but there's definitely, you know, st- something to be said about, you know, taking those walks. And but then guys get frustrated because it's like, am I going to actually get to move up a level if I take a walk? no, I'm going to go outside of my comfort level. I'm going to try to swing at this pitch and I'm not going to get a hit. I'm going to strike out. I'm going to do stuff like that. And as you go up, you know, Brannigan being at, you know, high A right now, he's probably seeing a little bit better pitching. I just kind of saw him as a guy that once he moved up that level, he kind of exploded. And I've, you saw that with Matt Frazier You saw that, um, you know, with with Matt Gorski. You've seen that with a bunch of different players that, you know, maybe have not hit as well at Altoona. So it was more me kind of like reading the the tea leaves on that one of seeing a player that, you know, gets up to a higher level, sees a little bit better pitching is in a very hitter friendly, uh, not only ballpark, but, you know, league. Uh, the South Atlantic League. There's at least two to three other stadiums that have similar dimensions and even some shorter porches in, in different areas, you know, than the Greensboro Grasshoppers play at. And just seeing him like explode like that, it's not something that really fits into his his profile. You know, Jack Brannigan was the guy that I honestly thought was going to follow more of the J.C. Flowers path because he was you know, drafted as a two-way player. Um, it was showing stuff uh, actually as a pitcher um, in his short time and, and short sample size. I thought they were going to go that direction. Said he signed with the Pirates because he wanted, you know, to get that shot of playing, you know, in the field, which, you know, they kind of did to Bubba Chandler as well. Um, right. But, but didn't see, like, a, a lot of, I don't know. It's it's not that he – I think he's a bad hitter. I just think that he has – like there's a little bit – I see a little bit of like – that there's like a gap in his in his hitting ability that I feel like that he if he came up to Altoona, he'd be the guy that would be hitting like 235 and have like a 750 OPS and we'd be like, well, where was that power from Greensboro? And it's – to me, he just has like that – you know, Greensboro facade type of, type of outings. And and for me with him as well, he goes along the, the same lines of that. He has, you know, when I look at guys in the lower levels, he has more strikeouts than, than walks. But then once again, I could be, I could be talked around the fact that was he swinging more because he wasn't getting the pitches and he was getting frustrated or was, you know, he just not hitting pitches within the zone. So, I mean, I could be talked into him being something, but, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, was a college-level hitter and didn't hit well at low A, has found a little bit of a spark at, at high A, and we've seen way too many times that guys that have done that that then get to Altoona and they start to stall out because that is kind of maybe just at the level or slightly above the level, depending on what conference they played in, um, the level of play. Because I don't know know how much – I mean, it's been said, and I've read a bunch of times that, like, you know, double-A play would be somewhat equal to, you know, the highest level of college baseball. So, obviously, Jack Brannigan should be hitting the absolute cover off the ball in high A. I just don't know if I would see it translating once he got to face guys that are a little bit more polished.
1: Yeah. In my mind, and I know Ed's higher on uh, Brannigan even than I am. Oh, I'm sorry. Ed, see him sorry.
2: In- Ed, Ed, Ed's going <laughs> to come and talk crap on me now. He's like, I'm high. I'm, I love. Now, here's the thing I, I like him as a player, but I just, I, I it was more of me like, seeing the patterns, reading the tea leaves, seeing his play at, at low a and seeing that there have been several players within the pirates system that have been college level, not, you know, playing at like the highest level of what I would say, like the, the sec and not play extremely well in college, but being very good college players, which is what, you know, Matthew Frazier was Matt Gorski was, and I could see yep. him falling in that vein. I want him to prove me wrong. I just, I it's just kind of what I see.
1: I see him as like a Jared Triolo type player with a little more pop and a little lower average. Yeah, i I think he he probably kind of finds, and we'll see. Like with Altoona next year, when he likely gets called up, uh, if he continues performing, whether or not that's how that goes down.
2: So, so a zero to uh, two, so, a, so is, so a zero to two war utility player.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, 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 defense.
2: yeah. I mean, and, and that's not a, that's not a bad thing. Every team needs those. And I, and, and zero would be like, if they, you know, don't perform very well at all. I see Jared Triolo hopefully being more towards that one to two range, but yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, um. But um, so I have another player that I want to talk about as far as like whether or not he's going to perform and that's going to be part of our special this week, September to remember. Before the roster rules change, September meant loaded clubhouses and a bullpen with an assortment of players, gaining opportunities to get playing time as they all vied for opening day roster spots. Nowadays rosters only bump to 28, limiting that excessive lineup changes that prolonged games in the past. While we may get to see some more names on the 40 man cycle through Pittsburgh, it'll be a slower transition than it used to be. That said, we still have promotions stay on the ranks with the aforementioned Bubba Chandler and Matt Gorski getting bumped up to Altoona and Indianapolis, respectively, and Jace Bowen also getting moved up to Altoona after a monster year in Greensboro. So, Craig, uh, I talked with Cody Patanko of Pittsburgh Baseball Now a couple of weeks ago regarding Jace Bowen and why he hadn't been. Moved up from Greensboro. He had been leading the South Atlantic league in home runs for. Uh, I think most of the season he had like 25, 26, something like that. But obviously that's in Greensboro. Had some rough strikeout numbers, had some swing and miss issues. What are your thoughts on Bowen as far as whether or not, because I see him as someone who people are going to be really high on and want him added to the 40 man. But. He's got a lot of holes in his game.
2: Yeah, I mean, Jace is a guy that, you know, I've been watching and that I've actually gone in person to see down in Bradenton, have talked to him from time to time. He's – the kid's an athlete. I mean, if everybody remembers, he was actually recruited to be a wide receiver and a baseball player at Michigan and decided to, you know, pursue – his baseball dreams. The reason he was stuck in Greensboro. And I would like, I think at the time that one time I looked at it, he had 23 home runs. His OPS was just above 800 in Greensboro. And like you said, he had, he did have like the struggles and the stuff with the strikeout numbers. Um, I believe he's 23 at this point in time. So I know that like, people, this is a crazy part is people will say, you know, if you're not in the majors at 23 at this point in time, because we see so many, you know, young, young kids coming up, especially, I mean, as, as the Pirates fans looking to see all the, you know, the Reds players called up, you know, extremely young. I mean, we've called up some players um, that are fairly young, but I mean, when you get a kid who, you know, was playing two sports and then just gets to focus on baseball and has had actually some pretty decent success at each level. I kind of like, like I said, it, I throw out the, the home run num- numbers in Greensboro for the most part. Um, I, like I said, the, o- the OPS, if he's going to hit that many home runs, you would hope and expect that OPS to be a little bit higher. If you know what I mean, like if you see a guy that's hitting like 20 some bombs and has an OPS that's just at you know right around 800 averages like in the two like low was it? I think it was what was it down there? Was it like 250 or was it 245? Something like that. 257. Okay. Yeah,
1: 257 so that for the
2: promotion. Yeah. So I mean so you're you would I mean I hate to say like to throw out numbers but you would hope that like in Greensboro if you're going to be like more of a consistent hitter that you'd be hitting at least over 275 you'd have an OPS over at least 850 if you're going to be hitting that many home runs and that unfortunately could be another guy but he's like maybe he's like almost kind of trapped in in a place like Greensboro as well because I mean I think he had a triple today i think he was the one that had it might have had it because he's got some speed and stuff i mean i i kind of get him and gorski to me kind of like fit into like the same vein so maybe gorski had a triple today i looked at way too many stats and watched way too many games i watched two football games was was it was a jason gonna hit triple today so maybe so maybe that's the thing is that like once he's like in a in a bigger place you know that some of those you know some of those singles will turn into doubles if it's more because you have more space to run um, if it finds a gap or different stuff like that. So I think I said that I didn't think that he was trapped down there just because I would have expected the OPS to be higher. But like I said, also, it could be a place where, you know, maybe he was limited with his gap to gap power um, by, you know, being, limited to a single if it bounces off the wall and it gets returned to the mm-hmm. infield quicker so that he'll be a guy because he he's athletic as heck man i mean like that's the yeah. one thing i mean i will say i know that this was probably this was pre you know that was pre-charrington i believe but even like that it's uh the type of player that like i i feel like you know when people say that charrington and huntington are a little bit similar is like you look for like You know, those athletic players, guys that are pitchers, that were also quarterbacks, guys that are outfielders, that were also wide receivers. Um, He's a very athletic kid and and is actually, I mean, extremely young, still extremely young, 23 years old. I want to see a full season of him in Altoona next year, maybe, you know, performs as well. And maybe he gets like the, you know, the Gorski type treatment this year um and and gets that call up you know towards the end of the season and at that point in time you're still looking at like a you know a 24 year old kid um like i said we're i think in baseball we we're very enamored by the guys that are like 21 22 20 you know 23 they're getting called up and and are being successful you know right out of the box i mean but there's something to be said about a player like you know you know brian reynolds who you know, people are talking about, you know, would you sign him to the extension? Because, oh my God, he's going to be, you know, he's, he's already 27, 28 years old, and he's been, you know what I mean? But he was kind of following that same path as a, as a college player. And this is a kid who's a high school player who's never played, you know, anything at that level and, and is still performing fairly well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of do agree with uh, with with Cody to a, gr- a degree there. I think more of his argument was, you know, kind of who's blocking him because there wasn't a ton of, you know, people in the outfield outside of Gorski that, you know, kind of you'd think would mean a lot to the organization moving forward. Um, and I had yep. higher expectations for like a Lolo Sanchez um, at the beginning of the season. Uh, just because i had seen he had bulked up and, and different stuff like that and he but he was also a guy that was you know extremely young uh, and is still you know maybe 24 25 at this point in time but yeah i mean which is
1: crazy, it's, crazy because it feels like he's been in the organization for like 20 years
2: and he's like he's I been in the organization for
1: like.
2: he's been in the organization for i mean this is probably gotta be at least his seventh year eighth year eighth year, eighth year something it's something like a that. a long time It's been a long time. So, and I think that was like my, like, almost like Lolo, like my Kevin Lolo Sanchez, like hope my heart was like, maybe I saw he put on a little bit of muscle. Maybe this is the year he turns on Mm -hmm. some more home runs and stuff. Actually at a home run when I was out there that my sister caught, which was kind of awesome. Just a fun fact about that. Um, While she wasn't even paying attention and talking to my wife and mother about something, I just reached out and grabbed the ball. Uh, but I mean that was a guy that I was hoping. So I think more of the stuff with Jace was like, okay, is he like, can this stuff play at Altoona? And I think that's a lot of stuff with like the players within the Pirates organization is you know, you know, this stuff's gonna play in the South Atlantic League. Can it play in Altoona? And we've seen a decent amount of time here recently that I mean, there's guys, it's it's kind of stalling out there. So I mean that's where like with the Jack Brannigan thing and the Jace Bowen, th- I I feel like they're all like kind of like in like a similar vein that I want them to prove me wrong. But I think I've, I've kind of maybe, I mean, I'm a little bit older than you guys. I, I feel like I'm maybe just getting a little bit too jaded. I want to be like more optimistic um, about that type of stuff. But Jace is a guy that, like I said, he's just athletic as heck. He's quick as anything Could play all three outfield positions. Um, So I want him to succeed in Altoona but I just, I was just a little bit worried about the strikeouts. And when you hit that many home runs and your OPS is that low, it, that's what's kind of holding you back. I mean, it yeah. it it was yourself kind of holding you back. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I can't hit that much anymore. I mean, but I'm pretty sure I could not off a major league hitter, or not probably not even off a a, a high A hitter, but I could probably pop some home runs. Down in Greensboro. I mean I don't know if you guys have been out there. Bullying bowling greens another one. That's kind of like another little tiny stadium. They all fit all these stadiums into these little uh little towns and cities and the and and stuff. So I mean but I yeah. mean there's it's like there's what, 320
1: f- down the line 315 315 like 315.
2: Okay. But there's like a, like I said there's a couple places if you're a left-handed hitter especially like a Tamar Johnson um there's a couple places that actually have a left field that's like around like 310. And that's not just even, you know, where the grasshoppers play. I uh, I, I did a minor league like, news and brews. I'd have to find it someplace. I wrote them all down. Of course I have them. I'm a guy, I'm an old guy. I have notebooks of stuff. I feel like I'm like getting like that, the old, you know, wise, like I can't put it all in my phone and notes. So I have like, I mean, I, you guys will be able to see, I have like these yellow notebooks that sit down here. I just like, kind of write stuff down in them. And yeah, like there wasn't, there was a decent amount of other fields. Um, there were some bigger fields there, but a lot of them were smaller. Um, so yeah. like, I basically say like, once you come up to Altoona, if the home runs continue, um, if the, you know, average and stuff continues the OPS, obviously, um, then, that then you may be for real. That's, that's like what, that's the, that's the hardest jump. It, it's, High A to – and it's not even just because of Greensboro, but high A to double A and then triple A to the majors. I mean, it's like freaking – it's night and day, man. It's it's kind of crazy. So, like I said, I want to see Jace get – I'm glad he got this call up. I mean, deserved, um, but understanding why he didn't in the same vein, if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I want to see – and obviously, I'll be out there for opening weekend in Altoona again. I, I go out every year. It's like freaking a holiday for me. Um, and, and we'll be happy to see him again because I I have never I've, – I've actually never been to Greensboro um, I for a game. I've walked past the stadium. I've seen the dimensions. It looked like the sandlot. It was kind of – it was crazy how small it was. Um, but Altoona, I mean, you see how much bigger that is. And how differently your hits will play. Cause I mean, I kind of think we're seeing that now with uh with with Piguero in, in some ways, because Altuna, like hitting there, like his, his gap power is turning into a little bit of home run power to a degree, um, which is something that Gary Morgan told me about. And I kind of like shook my head at for a second. I was thinking, I don't know if Piguero is gonna have that kind of power. He's like, Watch that gap. Because Altoona, the way it's set up, like it doesn't have the notches and weird things that other ballparks and major leagues have, because that's going to turn into some home run power. So, I mean, with Jace, great athlete, uh, but like I said, you don't want to see him fall into the Altoona trap that's been happening to a lot of these players um, over the past few years.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, if you think that you're not
2: optimistic
1: as a Pirates fan, because like, compared to most of the guys that I'll see talking out there, uh, this team should have been sold like 18 times over the season. It's turned 23 on the 2nd of, of September, so it would probably be age-appropriate or maybe a little young for Al-Tuna. Yeah, And um, back to what you were saying, you're on such a run, I didn't want to interrupt, but um, Jason Chandler and Lonnie White Jr., who has been like kind of on the shelf for the past two seasons, but he's so athletic. He's been one of my top 10 or top 15 prospects since he was drafted, so I'm, ex- I'm happy to see him finally like turning things around, being healthy, and, and putting together a good run in Bradenton. But looking ahead, last big homestand: four games versus the Nationals and three games versus the Yankees. Our last two series against teams currently losing records. Uh, Ed, you've been pretty talkative this season. Nationals. I don't think we have any starters really announced, but presumably we're going to have Oviedo in there. Keller, assume like Andre Jackson, Bailey Falter. Are going to get some starts there. Uh, Nationals are pretty much the same record as us. They would be 66 and 77 at this time, too. But your thoughts facing them at home in this series?
0: Uh, I think it's a very winnable series against the Nationals. Once again, you never give me any starting pitchers so I can actually make a solid prediction. <laughs> This is it's a week in week out. Give us any.
1: So, <laughs> so <laughs> here's the thing. Mackie tweeted a couple weeks ago. He was like, "I remember a time where we used to get starting pitchers and get to know who's going to pitch before like the day before. Like I saw earlier, Josiah Gray might be pitching tomorrow. Uh, let me see if anyone's announced for the Pirates. Oh no, no, no now it's it looks like it's going to be corporate tomorrow.
2: <laughs>
1: so let me check a couple of different places. I mean, you know who they got. Yeah, so it's yeah Corbin for them lead on on Tuesday, and then it's all TBDs after that.
0: Uh, Gray is really the only. I guy don't know. They just sometimes they don't, don't have, have the I think he's got the best stuff on their team. Uh, but we are cut. We're we're playing really good these past two weeks. I mean, we showed that we can keep up with the Braves for a second series. I mean, not the results that we necessarily wanted, you know, besides one blowout game. I mean, we had a win and like another game that was definitely within reach today. So, you know, team's playing hot. Probably three or four against Washington.
1: That's what you got to hope. Craig, anything to worry about or watch for facing the Nationals?
2: I mean, I one thing I will say is I, I had looked at this uh, prior to recording because I from listening to your podcast, I know you're going to talk about the upcoming series. The Nationals, their most recent series, like and this is like going back into August, they played Boston, the Phillies, the Yankees, the Marlins the Blue Jays, the Marlins again, the Mets and the Dodgers. I think a lot of teams would have, you know, trouble against like that type of stuff. I mean, I, the Nationals are definitely a rebuilding team. So, I mean, obviously you would think that you would want to, you know, beat a a team of that caliber. I'm going to go comfortable on this and I'm just going to go just don't lose the series. A split to me is I'm not a gambler. I, I actually don't gamble like whatsoever outside of fantasy football. And I don't even consider that gambling. Um But if I was a gambling man, that would kind of be your push. Like that would be the low you have to, at least with a, with a team like that, you you have to like, you have to at least split that series. You're hoping That you get a win in one of those series. The one thing I'm gonna say that I'm worried about at this point in time is Oviedo's like inning count um and pitch count for this season. So like counting on like a strong start from Oviedo at this point in time. I I think he's like we're talking about like Solometto hitting that when I talked about that earlier, hitting that like kind of plateau. I'm wondering in some ways if Oviedo's kind of, you know that one game where he went out and he just like, I just didn't have it. I, I'm just wondering like how much of that is fatigue of like actually pitching as a starter for the entire season. So that's why I would say got to get at least two, three would be nice. But also I, I I'm, if Oviato's pitching, is I'm, pitching, I'm watching to see like how he's pitching in this and getting him healthy through the end of the season. Cause that's, One thing in a pitcher's mentality that people have talked about is, you know, if I I can go on the shelf at some point in time, but as long as it's in the middle of the season, I want to finish the season. So I just kind of want to see him finish the season strong. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say we take two and my, I'm going to hope for three.
1: Yeah. I think with any kind of series going in, you you definitely don't want to get swept. Facing a team like this, you like that would obviously be worst case scenario. But the assumption is that like anything can happen, any team can beat any other team on any given day. So if you if you split, that's pretty much like, okay, that's fair. We're both rebuilding teams, we're both in a position uh where we're playing some tough times. Uh I'm trying to find Oviedo's pitch fifty-six. 56- pitch uh, innings last season and that's 56 total innings between two teams in MLB. Is that MLB it was and then he's 161.2 so far this season yeah but I he pitched in the, in the
2: minor in the minors last yeah. year I think it was I think it was like 140 between like 140 and 150 innings last year between yeah like in the majors and the minors I think so like because I just remember somebody on like
1: I got my dog on my lap. I, I don't know, it's tough to look this up.
2: I, I think at some point in time somebody said that like once he got over like it was like 140 some innings, that it was like more innings than he had pitched during like the previous season, or if it was like the most innings as a starter that he's pitched, you know, in his whole minor league career. So
1: yeah, I I think it's the most it's a innings, innings. pitch. And Keller's in that kind of range, too, where he's at his his cap, so they're starting to space him out. They're going to need to. I mean, they're the only two starters left. They're going to have to piece it together with the other guys and potentially call up some other pieces from AAA to see what they can do. And then we get the weekend series at home against the Yankees. They're barely under five hundred, but, you know, back in April looking at this series, you would have been like, oh, okay, that's going to be – tough one at the end of the year and the offense is still good unless they're facing Corbin Burns where they almost got no hit today through I think nine maybe 10 innings they got no hit but um yeah Yankees series they they don't have they're kind of a similar boat to the Cardinals in that they really don't have much pitching outside of Cole but um would you be more surprised if the Pirates win that series or lose that series? And I'll start with Greg on this one.
2: See, I'm just more frustrated because I'm going to the game on Sunday with the family, and uh, that Jason Dominguez has a UCL tear is the thing yeah. I'm more awesome frustrated me, about. That I'm more frustrated about than anything because I was I've been talking up to my my middle son. I have a 15 a year old daughter. 12 year old son, six year old son, talking about the middle one who's huge into baseball right now. I'm like, remember this guy that we saw down in Tampa the one year? Because we go down to, to Florida almost every year. And I see, he goes, I said, yeah. I said, we're going to get to see him. Had to call him today and say, hey, hey, Carter, we're not going to get to see him. He's like, what? So I'm more frustrated about that than anything. Um, but I mean, I, I feel like that this is another one where y- you should win the series. The Yankees disappointed in the season that they've had. Not that, you know, they're professionals, not that they're not, not going to try. I don't want to like take it to that far, but it kind of seems to be at, like at this point in time, like this could be like a way that if, if we get our younger players on a nice roll, you know, especially – you know, if we take three or four from the Nationals, players are playing well, um, that we could take that streak and, and you know, pull it out. Uh, but I'm going to say that we only win one of those three because I'm just going to be pessimistic on that. I, 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 for some reason, like the Yankees, they just, I, it just feels like that we, if we should beat a team or if they're, you know, taking a bad hit or something. That the pirates, for some reason, will come out and you know, and and do something. And also, we don't know what the pitching. You know, unfortunately, it's it's going to be TBD. It, or Do we know that one?
1: Tentatively, it looks like Garrett Cole is going to be lined up. This is how it's lined up right now. Obviously, okay. can change. It looks like Cole is going to be lined up for Friday. Clark Schmidt for Saturday, and then Sunday would be Rodon.
2: Oh, we'll win Sunday. That's going to be great. Rodon has looked <laughs> There you go. <laughs> So there's at least as long as as they win while we're there to take away from the fact that we won't get to see Jason Jason and that we, uh, the whole family was looking forward that we were hoping that Kutch would wait till then to hit his 300th. Um, So to take away all that sadness that the family has, I think they'll win that day at least.
0: Well, there you go then. Uh, Ed, your thoughts on the series? Well, I wouldn't be surprised if we won or lost a series. It's just one of those series that can honestly go either way. It's a very generic answer, but that is how I feel. I appreciate uh, it. Yeah, I know. i am always here. it. You know, give will a pick-me-up. Uh, I mean, the Yankees are kind of doing that late-season youth movement. Like calling up some of the younger guys, and it really seemed to boost them which is what we were looking for for most of the year. I'm going to say we take two or three. I think Cole, as much as I always say that we beat up on people's aces, I think Cole's going to kind of carve through our lineup.
1: Nah, he's cruising for Cy Young. I think he's just going to keep going. And he, he's going to love coming back and just crushing us
0: because
1: he's vindictive like that. He does All right, like that, well, that wraps it up. Yeah, that wraps it up for all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast. Thank you again for our guest, Craig Toth, joining us today. You can find him on Twitter at Bucks Basement. Listen to him on Bucks in the Basement podcast, where he, as we mentioned, discusses Pirates as well as his Minor League News and Brews segments, Diving Deep on Prospects. Follow me on Twitter at 412 Double Play, posting pitcher previews, game recaps Sunday and Mondays. Tomorrow is the last Monday game of the season. Just general pirates-related interactions. Ed will be there at Ed underscore wassail, typically tweeting at Matt Caps asking about food in Atlanta. <laughs> Continue listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever else podcasts are found. Make sure you subscribe, get notified when we drop our new episodes, and from all of us here at the Four One Two Double Play Podcast, thank you for joining us, and let's go Bucks!
0: Let's go Bucks!